Good morning. Good to be back. All right. We're ready to get, we're going to get going fast. <clears throat> so, uh, we got a lot to cover. Uh, in fact, we've got, what, four words, and two of them are the word no in Hebrew. So, we're going to spend about the next, what, 40 minutes talking about two words and two negative articles, right? <laughs> so, uh, but I hope that, I hope this, uh, I hope, hope this exercise will be helpful for everyone. I think uh, when I was looking at the two um, commandments for this week, I was, I was reminded of a, a book, um, an English writer, English uh, uh, theologian named Alistair McGrath wrote a few years ago called Christianity's Dangerous Idea. And the essence of the book was uh, reflecting on the Reformation. It said that Christianity's dangerous idea was putting a Bible in every man's hands. And uh, it was an interesting uh, reflection on the Reformation. And um, I think uh, the reason it, it reminded me of that book was that I think this, uh, this, uh, these two commandments are a great uh, exercise in showing us, um, or giving us perspective on how to interpret the Scriptures, how to read the Scriptures for ourselves responsibly. And, um, and the reason I say that is that uh, I think you're going to notice, if you haven't so far, you probably continue to notice the more you read this material and reflect on it, is that uh, there's some recurring themes that we see, especially in these second table commandments. Um, <clears throat> the interpretation and the application of each commandment is really not as often as, as easy as to understand as we, as we often presume it to be. It's, there's more to it. It seems like every one of these commandments very short, very brief, but they open up a whole context of things that we need to consider, should consider. Um, the scope of each commandment includes both broad and narrow implications and applications. So one commandment brings into play several other things to consider, not only how it's addressed in summary format in other areas of the Old Testament law, say the covenant code, uh, how other writers in the Old Testament and the New Testament both read, apply, and interpret those passages, but then how we, when it comes to our cons you know, uh, questions about application of that both in times past, in the context of the original hearers, uh, throughout the narrative of, old, of, of biblical history, and then in our own time. And, uh, and in, in a lot of that, context is key. And like I said uh, the last time, I believe it was, I really appreciate um, Dr. Uh, Fesco in particular uh, for his attention on reflecting on each of these commandments in light of both what he would call the historical, the redemptive, and the covenantal context. Each one of those aspects, especially how we find how these commandments are both fulfilled and find their uh, true meaning and purpose in the person and work of Christ. And then, um, and we're also reminded that we need to consider both the horizontal and the vertical aspects of each one of these commandments. They're not just strictly, although it may be the second table, they're not strictly horizontal in their implications, but they both reflect horizontally man to man and vertically God, man to God, God to man. Um, another example of, of, of this uh, is um, there's a book by a professor. Uh, retired professor now, Dr. John Frame, um, and uh, he taught at several uh, Reformed th seminaries uh, in his career. He wrote a, one of his books, uh, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, as a section on ethical issues or biblical ethics, and it's basically structured around the Ten Commandments, 
and the confession. And he, uh, it's, it's really an interesting take. It's very in-depth. I mean, this is at a very high scholarly level. And he is using the confession and the standards to derive his fully orbed biblical ethic. And it's really neat to see how he works with the text. Uh, one of the things I'll point out that, um, that he mentions in here is that he, he, uh, he alludes back to James 2, uh, verses 10 and 11. Um, and he says that he argues that all of the commandments are basically interconnected. If we break the first commandment, we break one commandment, we break, we're guilty of them all. His argument's going to be that they're all connected. In some sense, um, you know, each, each commandment basically works its way back into the others. And they're all reflecting on each other. So it's, it's really, it's kind of a complex argument, but it's, it's really interesting. Um, and if anybody's interested in looking into that further, I can get you, I've got copies of the book. I can get that information to you. It's well worth reading. Um, <clears throat> so uh, looking at the first two commandments here, Exodus 20 verses 15 to 16 is the primary text. So obviously we have the, the reflecting text in Deuteronomy 5, but we're looking at 15 and 16. You shall not steal, and 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, on page 3, we'll see the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. And I've tried to do this every week, is just kind of put what the basic meaning is, what the commandment forbids, what it encourages, the behaviors that it forbids, the behaviors it encourages. And uh, just a quick uh, brief from... Mr. or Dr. Alice, um, I thought it was kind of neat to see what he said here. Uh, this is, he says this uh, commandment is directed primarily, of course, against the lawless individual, but it applies also equally to the soulless corporation, the boss-controlled labor union, and the totalitarian state. It's kind of neat the way he said that. Uh, Dr. Currid, who is uh, an Old Testament professor and um, archaeologist, biblical archaeologist, uh, said um, he makes note that this is the third commandment in a row that's just very terse, uh, negative, followed by um, an imperfect. And he says, and this is what a lot of the writers, the commentators have said, is that this commandment lacks an explicit object. Uh, okay, you shall not steal what? You shall not steal what? And I've, I've, never, I've never even considered it. Uh, I started reading, uh, and every commentator is like fixed on this idea that there's this underlying debate going on about what is the what? What is the undefined subject? You shall not steal what? And uh, there's been a lot of ink spilled on that topic more than I ever imagined. Um, but um, some of them will argue um, that because we have the 10th commandment, coveting that this must refer to kidnapping I never I never had really I never heard that before I just like every most people probably just you know skimmed over this presumed too much uh, but there's actually a pretty big debate about what is included here and uh, and, and it helped me to kind of get into the topic a little more um, I think one thing I also point out is that Dr. Currid is going to talk here about um, the the penalty, let's say, for violating this commandment was double 
in, in the terms of restitution. It was double the offense. But um, other writers are going to say in certain contexts, it's restitution is replacement cost plus 20%. Just little things like that. I, and, and the reason I point that out is that when you read from multiple authors, different authors are going to give you a slightly different perspective on the text. Sometimes, and most of the time, I would say most often, they're very complimentary. Sometimes they disagree. That's what we would say if, we're reading, if you're reading a book or reading a commentary. That's where the real ha business happens. It's called below the line. It's down in the extended footnotes, right? That's where they discuss the things that they're really not sure of or are still in debate. And this is where they can kind of say it quasi off the record. Okay, up here, we're going to toe the line, but when we get below the line, and so what I want to do today, hopefully, is spend a little bit of time below the line, right? You can read for yourself some of the stuff above the line. Most of these commentators agree, but these issues below the line, I think those things can be helpful too. Um, so um, if we keep moving on here, I want to move on to um, page four, Dr. Sarna, who's a Jewish theologian. Um, and he says, once again, that common theme, things aren't as simple as we might think. There's a lack of specifics. Um, he, he mentions the issue. Of, he is not in the kidnapping camp, by the way. Um, he says that um, the issue of the overlapping of this and the Tenth Commandment is, is, is not really a true issue. Um, he, he explains the debate a little bit. And he, he points out that this 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 commandment is addressed in other places in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, Jeremiah 7, Hosea 4. Um, and he points out, obviously in the Covenant Code, it's expressed a little bit more, and there's more context that's given, and so it's broadened out. Um, Dr. Peter Enns, another theologian in his commentary, um, he writes that stealing does include cap uh, kidnapping, um, uh, but also the taking of animals and material things. And... Um, I think um, Dr. Wenham probably says this uh, best. The Eighth Commandment is best understood perhaps as a pro prohibition of stealing any kind under any circumstances. So, um, you know, on the surface, there's, you might think there's not a lot here. But it's, it's similar to Dr. Watson's book, okay? We haven't spent much time in that book. It was kind of... Uh, we, we, we kind of had it up front in the beginning of this series of, of classes. Um, but what Dr. Watson does, and this is what I learned both from this book and his other two, these Ten Commandments for Watson are a point of departure from which he can, he can look through all the Scriptures. And he can let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures. And he can say, okay, what does Scripture say about this? And how does it say it? And how does it say it from beginning to end? And how does that change in light of the coming of Christ? And so he is, he, you're getting a master class. When you read someone like that, you're getting a master class in hermeneutics. You're getting a master class when you reflect on the source text for the confession. When you read the confession, don't just read the confession, the standard. Read the, the text behind it and try to get an understanding of their biblical reasoning what text, biblical text, are they using to support their claims? And it's, it's amazing because you learn by default how to read the Scriptures. And Watson does that. Obviously, the standards do that. 
Dr. Frame in his book is, is putting that same type of hermeneutical discipline on, on display for all of us when you read works like his. They're mature works, they're responsible works, they engage the text, and, um, and, and, they, and I think they're very um, enlightening. So um, <clears throat> I think uh, Dr. Peter Enns here in this commandment also is helpful when he notes that, uh, uh, well, not, not in so much here. We'll just talk with Dr. Fesco. Like I said, Dr. Fesco is uh, at RTS. He's a professor, uh, I believe, of uh, systematic theology or New Testament. Uh, and he is um, he's the one who he reflects on the different settings, the redemptive, historical, and covenantal. And uh, he mentions how the Old Testament addresses this. He goes into a little bit more detail here on, chapter, on page 5 of different key concepts that are being addressed in the text. Kidnapping. Um, he talks about the issue of land and moving property boundaries, the issue of animals. Um, it was five to one for an oxen and four to one for restitution on um, a sheep. But it wasn't the death penalty. Um, and others, it, it was. In fact, if we reflect on kidnapping, um, Joseph Brothers, technically, according to um, the law, would have been punished, their, their offense would have been punishable by death, even though they didn't kill him um, they kidnapped him um, animals uh, wages uh, Jeremiah deals with this uh, we also see it in James 5 false weights and measures they'd have two sets of scales one that were honest one that was dishonest they would cheat people um, <clears throat> but all of those are just uh, key aspects of what this commandment addresses um, and uh, I think it's worth noting here, if you look at the Westminster Larger Catechism, I mean, I couldn't even imagine all of these offenses that are included in there. That's a lot. If you read through that and just start listing them out, you write them out, you're going to have a list this long, right? So they took great liberty there uh, in question 142. And so that would be a perfect example of take the text, the, the, the biblical text, that the writers... Um, of the confession or the catechism here are using to substantiate that and you're going to have it's going to cover a whole swath of scripture right where the laws um where the law is being treated in this insistent indirectly and as you'll notice that the scope of this is very broad there's both a vertical and a horizontal dimension to it uh, moving on to page six um in fact that's what makes this distinct from the cultures around them right what would this commandment, remember the second table of the law, especially 6 through 10, um, what makes some of these laws different from the other ancient Near Eastern cultures around the, the people of Israel? These are very standard. It's the vertical dimension. And that vertical dimension for us takes on additional meaning and importance when we reflect on it in light of the person and work of Christ. And that's, like I said, that's what I really appreciate about Dr. Fesco. In fact, I'm going to read just a tiny bit of what he, he speaks here on page 6. In light, in the light of Christ. He says, um, but in what way did Christ fulfill the demands of the Eighth Commandment? The answer, he believes, is Philippians 2, 5-11. Where Paul wrote that Christ thought it not robbery, that's King James, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Instead, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the of the cross. When we think about Christ's obedience to the will of his Father, 
We must see this in comparison to the disobedience of the first Adam. In the Garden of Eden, Adam took what had not been given to him. The first man saw forbidden fruit and took it, thinking that he would, uh, it would um, give him equality with God. Um, he could help himself to whatever he wanted from every other tree in the garden, yet Adam wanted fruit from the only tree that God had denied him. Christ, though equal with God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He considered that robbery. Um, in fact, he even draws attention to, the, to all of the temptations. You'll see in Luke 4, uh, Matthew, the three temptations of Christ, all considered, uh, in some sense, you could consider them aspects of this commandment. Uh, he also connects this to the church. Um, and he mentions uh, how the Heidelberg Catechism reflects on this. Um, so, I thought that commandment was, it was, it surprised me. Um, it surprised me how much debate there actually was behind the scenes. And it was a good exercise for me to remind me about how to um, let Scripture interpret Scripture, uh, how to reflect uh, in a more mature way, let's say, on the, on the standards, and to trace those uh, source texts out in the Bible. And I gained a lot from that. Um, we'll move on here to page 8 and the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I think what we'll find here is very much the same thing. Uh, it's a very narrow, very, it's a very narrow uh, stated command, but it's very broad in its implications and its application. Um, it includes a lot of things. Um, and it's not always as simple as we at first might presume. Um, you think about a couple of the difficulties in some of the biblical stories, uh, the midwives in Exodus 1. They were blessed for their obedience to God, but they were also disobedient to Pharaoh. Uh, Rahab in Joshua 2, she was commended for her faith, um, but she lied. These are examples of dire circumstances, and in the biblical text, they are relatively rare, but... Um, we do have some modern examples or more modern examples we could consider um, where the ethical uh, dividing line can be a little bit more complicated. And so um, one of the things that Dr. Currid points out here at the bottom of page 8 is that um, the bearing of false witness, there's a couple of things in play when the commentators reflect on it. One is who's, who's your neighbor? against one's neighbor. Here we've heard, we hear this again in the New Testament, don't we? Christ reflects on that for us, tells us who our neighbor is. Um, but that was an issue. Uh, who is your neighbor? And then uh, even more importantly, I would, or not I more, more importantly, but in a different frame, um, they point to the idea that uh, this, this was so important, um, the false witness. It's... Um, Let's say, for example, in capital punishment cases, if you were called to, as a, to testify uh, as a witness in a capital punishment case and the, and, and the case was confirmed, capital punishment was supposed to be exacted, if you were a witness, you had to do it. You had to be the one who basically put the person to death. It was a very serious thing. Um, in fact, that's why they, you know, the, the consequences, the penalties 
for false testimony. Remember the, 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 the acute context, the very direct context of this commandment is in the law courts of the Jewish state or the Jewish people, right? This is a, this is a commandment that has direct bearing upon the proceedings in the, in the courts of Israel, right? And if you're going to be uh, provide false witness, the consequence for that is the penalty that was supposed to be exacted upon the person that you're witnessing falsely against. So if it's murder, you're dead, right? And so if it's took everything they owned, you lose everything you own. Um, the, it was a very serious, um, it was a very serious uh, commandment in its acute context. But like I said, all these commandments, we have a, both a very narrow and a wide implications and applications. I think here the uh, podcast was kind of interesting because he makes some kind of, uh, as be- best he could, I guess, some funny uh, takeaways on it. He, he points out that the whole issue of context, this being a legal proceeding in the courts of Israel, is something that most people look over. Um, he talks about... Um, he said he makes it point uh, the point to, to bring out the fact that this command was not given to be to uh, forbid us from being um, tactful. Uh, he gives some ex- examples here, like, uh, uh, "Hey, honey, do I look fat in this dress? How are you going to answer that?" Right? Okay, is that that's like one thing we think about? No. All right. Hey, he's got some real good ones in here, like. Uh, he, he's got some good ones in here so that kind of made me think, well, what would I do? What would I say? Uh, and it's really uh, kind of funny because I found commentators who disagreed on how to handle these, right? That may not be the acute, um, the very narrow, very acute uh, context of the commandment in which it was given. But how do we take that and move it over here to application to us here today and, and, and how do we bridge that gap? And that's where I think reading multiple commentators can be helpful sometimes because you get to see uh, where they agree and disagree. And here's one area they actually, some disagreed. They said, uh, hey, did you like dinner? Um, um, on a more serious note, doctor, did my child suffer before he or she died? How do you answer that? Um, so uh, commentators go back and forth about is this is this you know how do we remain truthful and at the same time tactful mindful of uh, not harming right emotionally uh, harming bringing harm to someone or um, did I do good daddy well yeah um, but then he talks, you know, he talks about some other things like uh, when the quarterback looks left and throws right, or in basketball, the no look pass or the intentional foul. I mean, he's just it's, it's, the examples kind of go on and on. Um, you know, we we're, we're bombarded with them every day, right? Some argue that hey, this is a slippery slope. Don't do it. Don't go there. Be, tell the truth. That, you know, uh, in all things at all times, yes, but can we say but, right? Because some, some will argue, well, that's a slippery slope, and all you're going to do is make it easier to, to lie in the bigger things, right? Yeah, honey, um, 
I got, uh, I got, I got held up at work. Uh, and then, uh, honey, I got to go into work, you know, and, and then maybe there's something else going on down the road. Just little things. It's like some, some commentators are going to argue you can't do it. It's a slippery slope. And some are going to say, come on, use your common sense. That's not what this is saying, right? And I think all of us probably need to reflect on that and say, okay, where exactly is that line and can I define it? Because it's left nondescript, right? It's like the commandment before. There's no specific object or the object is so acute and narrow that we have a huge gulf to bridge to be able to apply it to our own lives. And a lot of times we just give up. It's just a category out here. It's kind of nebulous, you know, and we, we're aware of it, but we don't really say, how does that affect my life? Um, I think Dr. Fesco obviously uh, reflects on this in light of all of those contexts that we've mentioned multiple times. And I think it was kind of interesting uh, how he um, draws this both uh, to Christ and to us. Um, in short, he kind of says, you know, we owe the truth to all those who are in authority and authority structures and partnerships, relationships that God's placed over us and that he's put us into, whether it's family, friends, government, uh, church. Um, and I think there you see a hint of what Dr. Frame was talking about, where these commandments are all interrelated, right? In fact, they all work back together. You're, you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. Um, the law is a reflection of the beauty, the majesty, the righteousness, the holiness of God. And, um, and sin is everything that detracts from that. And so um, I, I thought this was a, this was a, um, this was a challenging a couple of commandments, I thought, for me because I looked at it and I said, two words and two negatives. What are we going to do here? And then, of course, I start reading about it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's debates on this stuff, too. Everything is debated. Yes, everything's debated. Sometimes uh, with more merit than others. But it was helpful. Um, I hope it's been helpful for you. Um, I hope it helps you to reflect on um, the way that we read and interpret Scripture, the way we reflect on the, on the standards the Westminster Standards in particular, and how they use and reflect it upon Scripture. Um, I hope it helps you, remind you, uh, to take seriously the way you approach the biblical text. And, um, you know, and to be wary of, like, Alistair McGrath's um, concern in his book, Christianity's Dangerous Idea, that the Christianity's Dangerous Idea at the time of the Reformation was putting a Bible in every man's hands. It's a great <laughs> privilege and it's an enormous responsibility uh, to rightly divide the word. And um, we should do it um, uh, with, with all diligence. We should do it together like this in community. And um, anyway, that's all I have for today. Um, I want to close this in prayer. Thank you guys so much for being here. Coming off a break, hitting the ground running. Next week, before I close, we're going to uh, finish up with 10, and it's a brief summary. Um, of kind of where we've been and uh, kind of recap everything quickly for you. And if we have any questions um, about the material, uh, maybe we can address them then. Father, we thank you so much uh, for, this, uh, for this day, for this uh, Lord's Day, for this privilege that we have to gather together <clears throat> to reflect on your word. What a great gift um, it is for all of us. We pray that you would drive it deep into our hearts, help us to live by it and reflect 
the honor and the glory that's to your name. We love you. We thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.